1: This is the Josh Marshall podcast. Yesterday, we had the big news that Fox News and Dominion had settled their lawsuit. Now we had we had some uh, glimmer that that this that this uh, was possible that it was going to happen on Monday, the day before the trial. Remember, the trial was supposed to start Monday, and then at the last minute, the judge delayed the trial for one day, saying we're going to give them one more shot to settle this case. Didn't happen. The trial, you know, the the pre-trial stuff, but that's the trial. Uh, Jury selection started Tuesday, and then late yesterday, Tuesday afternoon, we had the news that that the two sides had settled. And they settled for about $780 million. Um, The the exact number is escaping me at the moment. And uh, significantly, it's just a money settlement. As far as we know, I'm not sure, well, I'm not sure we're ever going to know the exact settlement because that's kind of, that's one of the things you get when you settle out of court. It's a, it's a private settlement. It's not, it's not published anywhere or something like that. It's not discovery. But the gist seems to be, we know the dollar amount and we know that Fox is not going to be forced to admit wrongdoing or even it seems to directly admit that, that they were wrong. That, that the things they said were false. Um, there had been uh, a lot of expectation that we were going to see, you know, for six months running, every marquee Fox personality starting their show, you know, in a hair shirt, basically, and going through the list of all their lies and how they're terrible and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but I did find that part surprising. Um, but... But, and this is something that I talked about a bit uh, in the editor's blog today, we're seeing something that is a little like those initial um, reactions to Trump being indicted in New York City, that you had a lot of people saying, wow, best news Trump has ever had. He, he, he drew the, the weakest indictment, and this will undermine the future indictment. You know, getting indicted is not great you know there may be gradations of badness but it's not great um and a lot of people saying fox got away with it they got away with it it ended up there was you know there was not accountability and there's a little something there with the lack of an admission which again that did surprise me partly because if you go back if you go back all the way to the beginning of this you know this is like this is literally two more than 2 years ago now right this has been going on for a long time uh you had everything that happened in november december into january you know november december 2020 into january of 2021 and at a certain point uh i'm not sure if it was when uh dominion and smartmatic the other the other voting machine company uh actually filed their cases but it was clear they were they were dead serious. They were going to file defamation suits against against uh, Fox. And, uh, th- you know, they yanked, I think they yanked U- Lou Dobbs off the air. And there were these kind of <laughs> surreal things where in this very kind of, you know, uh, Kremlin slash, you know, North Korean broadcaster kind of tone, you had Fox types saying, oh, in fact, we, we must tell you that this you know, this accusation and that accusation were actually not true. I think this this it happened in an even more extreme version on I think like OAN and 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 Newsmax. So Fox had kind of already said, like again, this is my pretty strong recollection in the past that okay, that stuff turns out that stuff was not actually true. We have no evidence of that, blah, 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 blah. So it one would have imagined that they would have had to at least say that the allegations were not true. That doesn't mean that they lied, right? Lying is a different thing from something not being true. You can think they're true when you said it, uh, or all the kind of stuff. And I have a theory, actually, my colleague uh, David Kurtz had a theory, which I adopted as my own theory. Uh, That may be because this is not over for Fox News. This is the first of two voting machine company lawsuits. Smartmatic is still to come and there's other cases against the individual news personalities and maybe Fox is somehow I don't know, you know, partly bound up in those or something like that. But it would be pretty tough for Fox to admit to all the wrongdoing in this case because they have to basically do the same case all over again. Now, I don't remember exactly um I you know, my my recollection at the time to the extent that I go back I actually remember hearing more about Smartmatic at the time than about Dominion. Um, but so we don't know exactly if all the facts are the same. Uh, it's in a different jurisdiction. The Smartmatic case is in New York State. Um, I don't know. Well, uh, you know, I guess uh, Fox's... I think Fox's Delaware Corporation, you know, almost everybody's Delaware Corporation, uh, maybe Smartmatic is. In any case, there's some differences, but they have to do this all over again. And if they start that next case, already have said publicly, uh, we were wrong and we lied about it and we totally knew we were lying. That's tough. And that may be why they were holding the line. Um, but the bottom line is, I I, I really want to warn people off sort of self-womping on this one. because. Dominion is not an activist organization. It's a private company that I think was pretty clearly reacting to the fact that their business had potentially, and to some serious extent, been destroyed by these lies. They had an overwhelming strong case. um, And businesses are in the business of being in business and making money being in business. So it's not a huge surprise that they finally went for a money settlement and again it is hard to you know when Elon Musk bought Twitter he bought it for what 44 billion dollars or something like that and when people were talking about that well i guess you know he put up 20 and then miscellaneous investors put up i think another 10 or so, 10 or so and then uh, a group of banks put up about 12 billion and you're down to saying well this you know one one big high roller put up a billion and and you hear that compared to 44 billion and you're thinking, yeah you know just a little sweetener he put in just to kind of have a seat at the table a billion dollars is a lot of money it's a lot of money and again because i guess there was a brief moment uh a year ago or whatever when uh elon musk was worth something you know 250 billion dollars and he on a lark bought this company for 44 or 45 billion dollars. you get sort of jaded there has never been a defamation settlement even in the order of magnitude of this as far as i can think i had someone ask me about this yesterday and like it's hard to prove a negative. I don't have a, like a mental index of all the defamation judgments of all time, and you know, and what the values were adjusted for inflation and all that kind of stuff. But what possibly could have been bigger? You know, in my line of work, I I, I make myself very familiar with these things. I there's not. I don't think there's ever been any judgment even a tenth this large in a defamation case. The size of this is. Uh, unimaginable. It's almost a billion dollars that Fox is agreeing to pay. And I think critically in the course of the pre-trial skirmishing, the release of lots of what came out in Discovery and the various motions and so forth, for anybody who is at all living in the reality-based universe the fact that all of this was totally fake about Dominion is completely clear, and it's also completely clear that Fox isn't just tendentious and sloppy. It doesn't function as a news organization. You know, when, when, when we were getting ready to uh, record this episode, I was writing another post about this and, and Sort of about the pros and cons of even if you don't like Fox, is it good, is it bad in some broader sense about press freedom if they get hit by a, by a kind of a shattering judgment like this. And the key really comes down to, um, and someone mentioned this in some story I read yesterday, and it's, 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 it's a key point that is almost so obvious and so standing in, in, in broad daylight that you can kind of miss it. Not only do you have numerous instances of the key decision makers basically saying, yes, this is totally ridiculous. This is all false. We definitely need to keep saying it over and over and over again. But in that whole discovery process, there was nothing that could be described as any kind of reporting, any kind of fact finding, nothing. Nothing like that is there, right? So, in, a, in the most basic sense, they do not operate like a news organization. Now, to a lot of us, that's pretty clear, but we didn't have the receipts inside, from inside. And it's still a little shocking to see up close, I might have thought, well, the brass is just kind of like, okay, I don't want to know. I don't want okay, like whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. But that's not what happened. As a business decision from lots of internal communications, they knew a hundred percent it was all false, but it was it worked for them to report it as true. That's pretty bad. Um, so that is all pretty devastating. And um you know, you have, a, you have a little of, I think a lot of us still through this kind of weird seven or eight years we've been living through, everybody's still waiting for like that's, that's, that silver bullet. You know, that's sort of that, that, that kind of uh, final apocalyptic reckoning where the bad people are going to be, you know, metaphorically destroyed, not in a QAnon way. Right, we're not talking about the way those people think of things. Where everybody's there's going to be mass executions, but where the bad people will be totally discredited, and the followers of the bad people will say, "I was so wrong to follow the bad people. Woe is me." Oh, liberals, please tell me how to do it because I was so wrong. That's not going to happen. And I know I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm exaggerating. I would have. I certainly would have liked to have have seen something a little more uh, obsequious from Fox. But let's not lose the fact that this was a massive defeat for them. It just was. And uh, I don't know what Dominion's profitability was going uh, into this, but a billion dollar settlement in addition to one that had most of the public, the news-centered public, the political world, hearing for six months how totally baseless and ridiculous this stuff was, it's a big defeat. So that is the main thing I wanted to uh, kind of kick us off with. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the, the continuing uh, d- uh, collapse of Meatball Run, Governor DeSantis of Florida. And we're also going to talk about this very uh, awkward and uncomfortable and really pretty sucky situation with Senator uh, Dianne Feinstein of California. But before we do that, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee now's the perfect time to stock your pantry for peak iced coffee season with Grady's New Orleans style cold brew. Grady's will ship a six pack of bean bag bundles right to your door so that you can enjoy refreshing cold brew coffee for a fraction of the price you'd pay at a coffee shop. The bean bags are the easiest way to brew it yourself. No special grinders, gears, strainers needed. For less than a buck a cup, it'll give you a smooth start to iced coffee season. Get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady's Cold brew.com with promo code TPM okay Kate Riga are, are you down in the dumps because uh, because Rupert Murdoch didn't have to like um, crawl on his knees to Dominion and beg forgiveness
0: a little bit I mean okay. it was gonna All be right. it was gonna be a spicy trial at the very least um, would have been Certainly. nice to see some grovelling.
1: Certainly, it would have been it would have been a lot of fun to see the trial. There's no question about that. But I will say, you know, and and I feel like it's weird. And I've I've sort of wondered: is there more reason why this is the case than I'm thinking? But I don't think there is. It's sort of weird that that everybody's saying, "Well, you know, can't have everything," but maybe you can because we're going to do this all over again with the other with the other company,
0: right? I mean, and I think you could argue that. The discovery was such a trove of riches. You know, I mean, we did get a lot of, I mean, a, a clearer kind of shot into the inner workings of Fox than we've ever had before. Um, and I think there is a piece of this that this was being so hyped as like the, you know, the media trial of the century, the defamation case of our times and everything. And I think it was easy to kind of conflate that with a lot of what Dominion was was saying, right? They were kind of fronting themselves as like, we are the force for democracy. We're here to kind of unveil Fox's lies. But to some degree, that was always a press strategy. I mean, like you said in the intro, they're a business, relatively not particularly big business, who got involved in this because their finances were taking a huge hit from Fox making them out to be a villain. They got offered a what, $787.5 million package. I mean, it's kind of founded on those silly theories of like benevolent corporatism to think that they would be like, nah, it's, it's more important to see what we could do for the American people.
1: Yeah, totally, totally.
0: But I think the flip side of that is, oh my God, Fox was willing to pay an awful lot to not have more of its dirty laundry strung out during trial, which I think is Pretty much only a good thing for the you know for the Smartmatic lawsuit and w- I'm sure like the the lawsuits to come in this vein. I mean, it's hard to say. I I understand wanting to see these people have to be like dragged up to the stand. I, it would have been good TV as well as feeling uh, some measure of justice for those of us who are you know trying to pound the alarm about the immense damage these people are doing to American democracy. But I. I think kind of spinning it as like a, you know, a sad boy, kind of like, oh man, you know, Fox News wiggled their way out of this one is kind of just what, A, what were you expecting? And B, I don't think they did. This is a lot of money and companies don't like to pay this chunk of their, you know, yearly earnings. And on top of it, the piece that's like, well, if they'd had to apologize, you know, Everything would be different. It would kind of remove the wool over the eyes of the Fox News viewership. I just also think it's like fundamentally misguided because it would have been, even if they had been forced to do it, it would have been like a passing blip i'm sure they would have found some way to be like you know wink wink uh, under duress uh, uh from the court uh, i have no choice but to read this statement you know what i mean i mean look at if you see the fox news statement right after the settlement it's um oh my god it's just such a master class in the passive voice here we acknowledge the court rulings find certain claims about dominion to be false okay
1: <laughs> right, right. cool <laughs> Well I would say I would say this about 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 you know Fox reading you know reading contrite statements I think it's absurd to think that any substantial number of of Fox viewers would have seen that and say like you know kind of the scales falling from their eyes and say oh my god this was all but I do think it was the reason I wanted it to happen it well wanted is is you know, one can find oneself thinking some, f- some fairly perverse things. But I think what it would have done, it would have disenchanted them on Fox. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't have not, it, it's not that it would have made them stop believing the big lie. It would make them think that Fox was part of the globalists, right? Which is what got Fox into this in the first place. What, what was coming through loud and clear in those internal statements was the trains leaving the station. We got to get on the train. You know, this is this is where our audience is going and we need to go with them. And, you know, that was that whole thing that Trump was doing in those in those critical weeks, basically saying, you know, the fix is in at Fox at Fox. That's why you need to watch OAN or Mm -hmm. Newsmax or all the, you know, all these other places. So it would have been damaging, but not in the way that I think Democrats or liberals might might want to imagine. Right. Um, And. You know, look, it would have been awesome to have that trial. No question about it. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been a lot of fun. I- I'm just saying that um, there's there's a difference between what's fun and Fox paying a big price for this little, you know, um, uh this episode in their in their history and i think they have paid a pretty big price one place i'll say i'll tell you i think they have taken a real reputational hit i think for a lot of us who are for lack of a better word not in the mainstream media space there's always been this issue that the people you see up there in the White House press room, you know, the reporters, the people on the TV networks, there's always been this sense of kind of like, hey, you may, not dis- you may not agree with everything Fox does, but they're another news organization and we all need to stick together. We're all, you know, all that kind of stuff. I have certainly seen a lot of glitz name reporter types. I won't embarrass anyone on our on our huge broadcast here but be, those people kind of saying publicly wow they're not even a news organization they're completely full of shit um and and i think that i think um i think that matters for fox not because uh you know fox viewers care what what you know kind of uh, celebrity reporters on cnn say but that actually does matter in terms of you know, reputationally who will associate with Fox, how the sort of the inter-journalistic stuff works. Um, I, think, I think that matters. And I think, I, I think it, is, it, has, um, it has made it impossible for certain people to any longer pretend or maybe in a lot of cases in good faith think that this is a real news organization when it's just not.
0: I think it also reveals kind of a dual threat here. And one of the threats is to Fox News itself, because Newsmax and OAN are like amateurish, small kind of, you know, relatively small productions. Their, their on-air talent is like often kind of goofy, you know. And yet those entities were such a massive threat to Fox News that they were willing to, you know, completely, they reached that point of being like completely revamping how they were covering the election because they were like, we're going to lose all of our viewers to these piddling little amateurish channels. I mean, imagine if they had a competitor to the right that was a behemoth like they are, you know, that had the the kind of funding to add all the bells and whistles and, and be more of an entity. Um, and then also.
1: And also just and, to be on the air in as many places as Fox is. Exactly. A lot of it's like, you know, cable carrier contracts right, and, and be able like to that. fight
0: back against getting dropped from those um yep. those packages. And then the other piece of that is that this kind of lawsuit, I mean, it's also got to be a threat to these little piddling amateurish outlets, because they're not going to be able to absorb uh, a $787 million defamation suit. And their whole premise is being more conspiratorial, less concerned with kind of keeping up a facade of fact that Fox News is.
1: Right. And and this, this goes back to something that I think we've talked about, but I, but I think a lot of people still don't quite get, which is that a lot of people think, well, you know, Fox is just toes the line of the GOP. You know, it's whatever the GOP says, they're, they're in the tank for the GOP. When in fact, it's, it's long been more like the GOP is in the tank for Fox News, that it's really much more fox calls the shots for the gop rather than rather than vice versa and in most cases it's not like well that's good because you know fox is kind of keeping it keeping it tight keeping it you know close to the truth i mean they're they're worse than the gop in a lot of cases but that is, has long been the um, the dynamic and in some ways you know uh, 25 30 years ago in some ways rush limbaugh was that thing you know? Is Rush Limbaugh uh, you know in the tank for the GOP, or it's more like the GOP is in the tank for Rush Limbaugh? And and so what we saw, and this this is this is something I don't think has really been you know fully explored enough. Is that finally there was a case where Fox couldn't do that? And again, it's it's not a matter of that they wanted to do something more just or better or stuff like that. It was just. um it didn't serve anybody's interests. It didn't serve Fox News' interest to, to 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 go off on that um, on, on that tangent. I will, you know, there were certainly some people within Fox News who were like, dude, this is too much. This is this is completely ridiculous. We're not we're not going there. But Fox couldn't do that because as you say, there were other there were other mini Foxes there who were happy to to turn it up to eleven. Um, and, and who had a different set of interests because, you know, this is, sort of, it's funny that the final season of succession is happening right now because, you know, we don't, who knows how similar it is to the world of Fox news, but you see how, like in someone like uh, a Logan Roy, this kind of melange of business interests, impulses, ideology, that that all kind of that all kind of come together um fox was if fox is already fox they don't need to be fox right so they don't they don't need to do anything they don't need to achieve anything by going off on these on these random tangents but oan wanted to be fox so they're happy to go there right and maybe they're also just more crazy who knows same with newsmax and all these places but to your point you alluded to this kate there's I'm pretty sure there's also a lawsuit against OAN. There is a lawsuit against Newsmax. I don't know why there wouldn't be I just, I happened to kind of see something on the Newsmax one. And as you say, I mean, Fox is a massive, they can actually cut a check for a billion dollars and not and not go out of business. And they're not just Fox, there's also a bigger company behind them. So they've got a lot of things they can fall back on. But- um you know, Newsmax is like a little bigger, but OAN is, you know, it's just some random who just kind of like set up a few studios and and managed to kind of leverage, you know, leverage their way onto cable. This, this, I don't see how, um, very curious. And I also don't know exactly what the schedule is. Like when do those things come into trial? Um, you know, n- no idea. I mean, it, it'll be, it'll be weird since like if we have that sort of gobsmacking, um, you know, kind of blow out trial, it'll be kind of strange because it'll they'll be talking to news to hosts, and we're going, who's, who's that? Who's, who's that dude? I've never heard of that guy before. And it also kind of, it doesn't, the, the, the problem with the Smartmatic thing and who knows how it'll play out, but it's hard to imagine there, that Fox is going to let that go to trial after a massive payout for this one. Like why that wouldn't, you know, you're buying keeping the trial from happening. So it would be it would be weird if you if you allowed it to happen in that other case. But I don't. Again, I, I need to refamiliarize myself with um, the precise facts of the of the Smartmatic case because, again, my recollection at least is that more of the crazy stuff was about Smartmatic than even Dominion. And isn't it actually? I think Smartmatic is actually a bigger company. I'm not, you know, put a put a asterisk on that. I'm not. I'm not sure that that's the case. I'm just kind of. They're
0: definitely suing for more damages, anyway. Um, you know, a bigger number, and that trial has not even been scheduled yet. So, I mean, it's another direct result, right? If you're the Smartmatic lawyers, why in the world would you take a settlement smaller than this one? You know, this is your. Yeah. You have an opening bid. You have a floor here. You know, but yeah, I mean, it. It's going to be essentially the same trial, or, you know, at least a, a very similar one, like all those floods of texts that we saw about, um, you know, we're losing our audience, you know, we, we got I mean, that's all directly relevant to Smartmatic stuff as well. And clearly, Fox, Even though, you know, their ratings didn't take any kind of a hit because their viewers are so siloed off and they haven't been covering the suit themselves. So, you know, their viewers probably don't have like a huge amount of understanding that this is even happening to begin with. But part of what makes Fox so insidious is that like you were kind of alluding to with the the big shot journal celebrities who have spent so much time like going to the bat for Fox News as if we didn't know what they were before is that Fox News has been really effective in wearing both masks and pretending that they're just a conservative cable network. And that has been staggeringly effective for a really long time, despite the fact that you can really turn on the channel at any time. And it's just lies. You know, like every time I watch it, I'm kind of blown back by the lack of subtlety or pretense. It really just is kind of unvarnished. But um, having that kind of that balancing act works for them. It gives them credibility. You know, it lets them send whatever is named Ducey Jr. into the White House press briefings. I mean, it it does work for them. So having this stuff come out, even if it doesn't sway their audiences at all, it's still kind of hurts their bottom line, hurts how they do things. You know, that's what the big thing that kind of sets them apart other than their size from the OAN and the Newsmax is that those places have leaned into being right wing nuts, right? Like they're not trying to kind of pretend to have it both ways, you know, like, oh, oh so just because we're conservatives, we're crazy, you know, and Fox News is still trying to walk that tightrope.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I think... Um it, it's funny that you know the the the. I think the best way to think about Fox is that just as there are you know bad journalists, unethical journalists at at you know every news organization. I'm not going to pick one specifically because I'm just making a general statement. There are also some real journalists at Fox, right? It happenstance, right? It just you know, um, yeah. I I, I uh, the the and the I think the other more general point is. This sort of, you know, you hear this refrain a lot, if Trump is going to get indicted, if he's going to get indicted in multiple places, if this is happening, if that is happening, and people say like, yeah, but those hardcore Trumpers, nothing will ever make a difference to them. They're going to support him no matter what. And it's kind of the case with Fox. Um, There's a spectrum of people who listen to Fox News. Not all of them are, you know, total fanatics who, who you know, believe every last thing. Um, But sure, the hardcore people who are listening to kind of Janine Pirro and not hate watching it or watching it with like, with like popcorn and beer and just like, you know, watching it for laughs, it's not going to affect them, but that's not that many people. Um, So, you know, who knows? Uh, It's a pretty, it's just important to realize they took a big, big hit there's no question about that. No company, even a mega company that makes tons of money, wants to cut a check for a billion dollars. And as we've said, this isn't done yet. Um, and I, the, the, the other thing that you know, we're, we, we collectively are going to have to get a handle on is that um, you know, it's in a ju- different jurisdiction. So I don't know how that affects the law is different in different states. It's different about, you know, kinds of damages and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so who knows?
0: OK, let's pivot to um, the, the DeSantis DC trip, which is kind of the newest entry and what we've been talking about, which is the kind of quick pivot from Ron DeSantis is the future of the Republican Party to the reality of the party, of course, is still Donald Trump's. And that DeSantis would have to be a generational political talent to to beat Trump in the environment within within which he's you know he's running within how the Republican Party is right now. So kind of the newest thing is he made this foray to D.C. He's trying to Kind of coalesce behind him support from the Florida congressional delegation. At the very least, asking them to, hey, just hold off on endorsing anyone for now. Okay. You know, I'm not officially into the race. He's planning on doing so when the Florida legislature kind of wraps up its session. Just put it on ice. And the exact opposite is happening with some like extra kind of insult sprinkled atop the injury. We had now had three more people this week from the Florida House delegation kind of loudly throw their support behind Trump. Uh, you had one of them kind of open a statement saying, you know, I had, I had a great conversation with Ron but I'm going to go ahead and, and support Donald Trump. And then that's spewed kind of uh, the spin-off stories. Like Greg Stubbe is one of those who lined up behind Trump. And then the story details that he has tried to reach out to DeSantis. Like for the past five years, DeSantis will never call him back. Um, and he had an accident and had to go to the hospital. And I guess like Trump was his first call while he was in the recovery room, the famously compassionate Donald Trump. But, you know, it, it is <laughs> It adds to that genre of like DeSantis is weird and not personable and like can't figure out interpersonal interaction. So it's not only the original insult, then it's the additional story saying and another add to the chorus who have endorsed Trump. And then the third layer of like and here's why these particular house guys just don't like Ron DeSantis.
1: It's definitely true that when he was in the house, he you know, he was in the Freedom Caucus. He was part of that scene. He was not very well liked and i 'm not, I'm not saying everybody hated him, but he just wasn't a personable guy, as you say and and with some of these it, it, it is <laughs> I was going to say it's impossible not to think that these stories that you're just describing weren't coordinated with Trump for, to maximum effect to play into the storyline that um, that that Trump is telling. the only I think exception to that is that these guys don't need Trump to tell them how to do this. You, we want you to endorse me and, dis, and, and package it in these passive-aggressive, humiliating stories about Ron DeSantis. I mean, I can't stress enough, just for, for, for listeners to get a sense of this, this one... Um, this one who who was it? Was it Brian Mast? Who was the one who did the like I met with him and I'm endorsing Trump? I don't remember Kate will find it. One this uh one one rep, but it was basically I had a really good meeting today with my friend Ron DeSantis. Still, I'm gonna endorse the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Now <laughs> that's just not necessary. You wait, a f- you wait a week and you say, hey, I'm endorsing Donald Trump. But he had to basically say, I met with Ron DeSantis. I know Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis gave me the maximal pitch. And that a very fucking next day, I'm going to put out a statement saying I'm endorsing Donald Trump just to kind of humiliate Ron DeSantis, because that's how much I think of Ron DeSantis.
0: This was uh, it was Lance Gooden, who's actually from Texas, not Florida. But oh, okay. he, well, he opens small it with victory
1: for Ron DeSantis. Right.
0: Then. He opens it with today after a careful consideration and a positive meeting with Governor DeSantis. I've decided <laughs> to endorse President Donald Trump for 2024.
1: Yeah. So not even basically saying like, you know, Ron and I have some beef from the past when like Ron, you know, took a handful of my pudding. And got it all <laughs> gross and I couldn't eat my pudding. So there's no like, there's no backstory, right? Mm-hmm. He loves Ron DeSantis, but Ron DeSantis is a pitiful fool. And so I'm endorsing Donald Trump. Just, just yeah.
0: It's so like, humiliation. You know, Ron gave me his best. He tried to have a positive meeting with me and yeah. regardless. And then you also have the, the other kind of new wrinkle in this is, um, you had this guy, Thomas, P- I guess, Peter Fee, is that how we're pronouncing oh, yeah, it?
1: Oh yeah, the, the, yeah, I. Uh, your guess is as good as mine, but the sort all of the. Right. Sorry the to all
0: the peter fees yeah. out there. But he, yeah, big GOP donor guy. Um, he kind of came out uh, with, with a quote saying that he's withholding money from DeSantis due to, quote, his stance on abortion and book banning. And I thought it was kind of, you know, when I first glance, I was like, what is. Th- who is this top donor in the GOP who is offended by the stances on abortion and book banning? But I think what he was saying, and tell me if you agree, was that DeSantis is going to have an impossible time kind of recalibrating to the center and the general when he's, you know, setting mountains of books on fire and like threatening Mickey Mouse to, uh, you know, fisticuffs.
1: I think that's exactly right. I mean, there's no way that that, um, you know, I. I think it's like 95% that, and I suspect it is, I mean, look, if you're a major donor to the Republican Party, either you are pro-life or you are entirely cool with banning abortion for the purposes of keeping your taxes low, Uh, either has to be the case. Um, I got the feel in that statement that the book banning stuff, he may not actually be crazy about that. You know, these like high roller billionaire types, that's not their thing. Right. Um, very progressive. Or, or, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It, it, not. Not even. You know. But basically, yes. A, not a hundred percent, but ninety-five percent. This guy has made himself unelectable in a general election, or at least very hard to elect, because he's just. And yeah. And, and th- that was clear. That was clear cut. And um, again, you have this thing of like, you know. Fred Peterfee or whatever his first name is, we've never heard of you before. Did you have to announce this? Did you have to tell us you're, you're, you know, keeping your powder dry, not giving, not giving money to Ron DeSantis? Um, I, you know, I think this is, you know, it's, it's this, it's this weird thing about the current Republican party that in some ways it doesn't get talked about enough because, In some, you know, this is always how I think liberals thought the Republican Party ran, that it's just funded by a kind of, you know, one big dinner party of billionaires. It didn't used to be that way, but since Citizens United and over the last decade, it really is kind of that way. There are about 20 billionaires and there's, a group of like four or five that are super rich and also giving super high amounts. And that has coincided with a decline in small donor giving. So if you're not getting that billionaire money, you're it's not gonna happen. And and Trump actually, this is, I mean, I think they're gonna come around for him, but that actually is one of his problems now because a lot of those people have said they're not going to support Trump. He'll figure it out, but it's an issue even for him. Whereas, you know, th- there's just nothing comparable for Democrats right now. It's not that fundraising isn't important. And obviously, people who, um, you know, max out to multiple candidates in a cycle, so maybe in a cycle they're giving $20,000, you've got to be pretty fucking rich to just sort of like throw away. I mean, throw away is, you know, but not get a tax deduction, just kind of say like, you know, my political beliefs are just going to cut a check that, you know, most people would like buy a car with or something like that. Um, but that's not the same as people who are giving like $50 million and who can do that every, every cycle. But it's, st- so some of that is this is kind of some of their kind of messaging to each other, right? This is how they kind of throw up a flag. Cause, cause when that, when that news came out, a lot of the reporters who kind of exist in that world were saying, well, this is what everybody's saying. And this guy, I don't know, did he draw the short straw? He had to kind of talk to Financial Times and say it, on, say it on the record. But it it really is just kind of a death of a thousand cuts because you don't have to announce it. We didn't know who you were, dude.
0: Right. And I think the other piece of this, specifically the abortion piece, is going to prove a problem for whoever the Republican candidate is. And obviously we've already kind of seen that play out with, you know, Tim Scott's great word salad of a response when he got the easiest possible and most predictable possible question on abortion. And then you have DeSantis kind of signing the six-week ban in the middle of the night and then doing an event at Liberty University, the friendliest possible audience for such a thing. And he doesn't even mention it. You know, he's just going to kind of cross his fingers and hope it doesn't come up. Um, And even Trump, I think to some degree, had an easier time on the abortion front. It came up, honestly, especially the first time, 2016, it came up. In terms of like, oh, he used to be pro-choice. He is, you know, he's not a real Republican. That was kind of the extent of it. And he, I think we've gotten some reporting that he, one of his, he, how he occasionally kind of shows flashes of like political savvy, that that he does have that around abortion. Um, obviously, because he doesn't kind of ideologically care at all about being anti-abortion. But also, I mean, on this one, the writing's on the wall. It is an electoral killer for Republicans over and over and over again. Um, and we talked about this last pod, you know, how we have like panicked conservative voices saying we just need to rally around the 15-week ban, like that will save us. But it is a hugely just salient topical issue this time around. And it's going to be going into 2024. And I think it poses kind of an enormous problem for, you know, probably Trump and anyone else who kind of tries to compete with him um, to find a response on abortion specifically that can satiate the hard right primary audience. And that doesn't just directly translate into democratic ad fodder once you reach the general.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was... I. I, I'm trying to remember when he did it, but there actually was a a, a statement that Trump made where he basically attacked the Supreme Court,
0: hmm.
1: like you guys are idiots. What, what what was the what was the deal on this on this abortion thing? And it was kind of weird because you know, I mean, Donald Trump is the author of Dobbs. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've had in recent history, we've had you know, or just in this century, we've had two two-term presidents. Both of them got two Supreme Court uh, justices, were able to put two people on the court, Bush and Obama. Trump, in four years, got three. Jimmy Carter got none. I mean, you know, it was was, uh, a mix of uh, Mitch McConnell's theft in 2016 and all. But, I mean, it happened. It's his. He did it you know, take a bow. But as I think you were alluding to here, one of Trump's perverse advantages is that no one thinks he gives a crap about abortion. His supporters never thought he got a, gave a crap about abortion, but he thought he would do what they wanted. And he did do what they wanted, but he doesn't care. And again, one, one thing I want to come back to, because I get asked about this a lot. People say, well, you know, any any Republican is going to be pro life and and anti abortion. So why does it matter? Well, it matters a lot because if you are uh, Glenn Youngkin, in uh, it's Glenn, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm, t- I'm totally losing it with names. <laughs> if you're Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, you can say, "Oh, I you know I I believe in the culture of life. We have too many abortions," and he'll kind of say. We've sent it to the states and blah and whatever. And for a lot of people, that's going to be enough because they know he's a Republican and they know what that means. But Ron DeSantis, you signed a bill and you demanded a bill for six weeks. And the specificity is just everything. And even perversely, as ridiculous, even though, like I said, he wrote Dobbs, Trump's not going to have that. He didn't sign any bill. And since since Trump can just say whatever he wants, he'll he may attack Dobbs. And and he'll probably have some leeway since his core supporters are like, attack it all you want, dude. You gave it to us. And we own it now. And and who cares? Who cares what you say? Because it's 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 the it's it's the law of the land. Mm-hmm. Um it's it is a huge thing, and like six weeks, and you know. A year ago, we thought 15 weeks was the you know tantamount to a ban. Six weeks. I mean, even the guys listening, we know the 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 four-week cycle. I mean, six weeks, how's that? How is that not a ban? Right? I mean, it is it is a it is a a huge thing. And it the other thing, and th- this this goes to something about DeSantis's whole campaign, is that the entire, everything about his campaign, all the support his campaign had was entirely based on the one thing. He can get Trump out of the picture. And there's a substantial number of Republicans, even though they're going to vote for Trump, they like the things he did, all that kind of stuff, but they just, it's time. Let's move on. Let's get a new guy. Let's get a new person. Um, this is the only way that He thinks he can. He has to do it. He has to up the ante to win the nomination. But I think this is where you're seeing it from those billionaires, the disconnect. They're saying, like, we don't really care about you winning the nomination. We need you to win the nomination and win the general election. And for you, you can maybe, maybe it's what you need to do to win the nomination. But maybe we can find someone else who doesn't need to. So you just... You just see the disconnect. And and I think it's over for the guy. I'm surprised more people don't see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I also, you know, just a, a final point on the abortion piece is that, you know, 2024 will be the first time that a national ban would be possible. So, you know, it's just there's no way that, you know, people will start caring less about it or that it'll fade from the news cycle. It's going to be one of the leading issues, probably also because, Biden's going to talk about it all of the time because why wouldn't you? you know he's going to present himself as the backstop the the safety against a national abortion ban, so you know this is going to be in the bloodstream
1: yeah, and that was the best retort. It wasn't a very successful one for Republicans in twenty twenty two that and 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 what sort of critics of Democrats could reply with, you know because even now I see like, you know, Biden's social media accounts, you'll see these things, Biden, you know, and it's Biden, it's his press people saying, you know, if Kevin McCarthy mm-hmm. passes an abortion ban, I'm going to take out my, I'm not going to let it stand. Well, you know, okay, first of all, the Senate and, and you know, in 2022, he, Biden was still going to be president, even if there were like massive Republican majorities, nothing was going to happen. As you say, they get a clean sweep. Anything's not just possible, it's likely. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm.
1: This is what they this is what they want to do.
0: Yep. Okay. so let's kind of round off here with some of the Feinstein drama that kind of started in earnest in the last week. And then this week has just gotten even more snarled because, you know, the, the basics here is she's 89. There have been rumblings about her inability to do the job for a long time. You know, I can say just kind of firsthand experience from being at the hill. She's definitely kind of treated different than than other senators. Like people are wary to kind of talk to her about uh, when you don't need to um, in terms of, you know, kind of if you just need like generic Democrats to talk to. People often don't talk to her because in some ways it feels a little bit uh, exploitative, I guess. Um, and it's and it sucks. It's uncomfortable. You, you know, she is uh a trailblazer, a crusader uh, for women in politics. First woman elected from California. She's had an incredible career. Um, I think most of the people saying like, oh, this is sexist, is Democrats kind of trying to cover themselves. Though I do think the volume of the calls uh, has a little bit of that mixed in because there have been a lot of really ancient senators and a lot of them have been men. But of course, this has come to kind of a tension point now because we're getting the backup. She sits on Judiciary Committee. You can't get nominees through the committee without her because Democrats only have one extra seat. And if it's a tie vote, that is basically considered like a failed vote out of committee. Um, And so we've got like 12 now that are are backed up at that uh, pressure point. It's obviously going to keep building. Um, She was diagnosed with shingles in February, and it apparently just took a heavy toll on her health. And she's been home ever since. She hasn't really given any kind of a window of when she thinks she'll be able to return. Um, So her compromise to kind of quiet the critics was... I'll step off the committee um, and until I can get back, you can get someone else on, which you know sounds great until you realize the kind of mechanics here, which is that either they replace her with unanimous consent or they have to overcome the filibuster. So they need 10 Republican votes. That became immediate as early as last weekend that that wasn't gonna happen Tom cotton you know got himself the medal for being the first one who uh, said he wasn't gonna do it and they've all kind of uh, used as cover for not wanting to let Democrats um, confirm judges this idea of they that Democrats are being um, like horrible to Feinstein that it's sexist and disrespectful to a colleague and blah 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 which obviously is all fake. They just, they love the idea of not ha- letting Biden ab- appoint any more judges until, you know, next Congress. Um, and so it's really difficult because even if Feinstein is kind of like, okay, I'll resign altogether. I'll leave the Senate. You would get Gavin Newsom appointing her successor, but we would run into the same problem with the vacancy on the committee.
1: Well, is is that, I wasn't sure. Is that the case? Is it the same state? I thought there was, okay, I, I thought that the organizing agreement for this Congress had a framework for if someone resigned or died or something like that, that that they would be replaced on the committee as a matter of course, that it wouldn't require this.
0: Yeah, so my understanding is that even if she does resign from the Senate as a whole, that doesn't solve the problem because her replacement appointed by Newsom would still be subject to these same barriers to get on the committee, either unanimous consent or the filibuster, um, which is, you know, we're we're checking on that because some of this is arcane Senate procedure that hasn't been tested in recent memory. Um, but we do know someone brought up this to John Cornyn, saying, OK, if she leaves the body altogether, will you, will Republicans let her replacement join the committee? And he said, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So not exactly encouraging for Democrats. And if that is the case, that leaves as the only viable option to get the judges through her coming back to the Senate. And there was a piece like last week or the week before where a bunch of her kind of aides and, and colleagues we're really skeptical if she would ever be able to make the trek to D.C. again.
1: Yeah, and and that sort of—I mean, I didn't know before. I guess, I guess there's still some question about whether the same dynamics would apply if she resigned, as opposed to you know, you know, sort of resigning from the committee, as it were. And we're still going to try to for our listeners, we're still going to try to figure that out. But it seems like that may be the case—that that that it is the same dynamic, but. You know the idea that her aides think she may never be able to make the trek to D.C. again. The idea that there's any question that she needs to resign is crazy. If you can't, if you you can't be a senator from I was going to say from California, literally from California, you have to be in D.C. And you know this is such a this is a really unfortunate, awkward, unkind situation. and But I have to say that a real amount of the unkindness is from Feinstein herself. You know, look, this is a woman who has made her life in politics and is not some barely known you know, kind of backbench person. This is a true trailblazer in American politics. I, my first memory of her, and a lot of people don't remember this, she was on the San Francisco City Council. And when George Moscone and Harvey Milk were shot to death, she suddenly became mayor of San Francisco. And I was a little kid when that happened. I think I was eight or nine years old. But again, I I grew up near Los Angeles, so it wasn't local news and, you know, blah, blah, blah about California, but it was sort of local news. It was within our state. And uh, I remember really clearly her appearing on TV. She was one who announced that they had both been killed and she became mayor. And that was a big part of her. I'm not saying she wouldn't have had a similar trajectory, but that was a big moment in the politics of... Now it seems kind of the politics of the nation, it was a different time. So uh, a lot of how that event seemed, it was a big deal in California. It was a huge deal in San Francisco. This is a significant person and it shouldn't be ending like this. And this is not something that should be playing out on a podcast. And it should not be playing out in contending newspaper articles and on Twitter and kind of stuff. And people who have never met her, who only know her as a name, should not be speculating about her cognitive abilities. It's undignified. It's, it's cruel. A lot of that cruelty is, is of her own making. And it's of the making of her staffers. I don't know what her status is, how she's doing. There are certainly people who are very old and they're forgetful. They have moments when they are really out of it. And they have lots of other moments where they're as sharp as they ever were. Who knows? But there has been a kind of global failure here on her part, on her staffer's part, on her colleagues' part, who have not been able to convey to her that she needs to step aside, but I mean, I know exactly the article that Kate is talking about, where again her top people saying, you know, she may she may have to only do the job from California. You can't do the job from California. That's absurd. And even if even if her resignation doesn't um, doesn't solve the issue of you know replacing her on the committee, there's also only 51 votes. It, it's just crazy and we should not be here but again the idea that you're saying you're not going to resign and people who have every interest to be optimistic are saying they have real doubts you'll ever be able to return to DC we're just in a, in an absurd a tragic and absurd situation there's there's no other there's no other way to describe yeah. it
0: yeah i mean and as much as it sucks this is the post Ruth Bader Ginsburg party. I mean, you're just not going to get Democrats being as sympathetic as treating with kid gloves these people as they would have prior to her kind of refusing to step down when she was already very old under Obama, which I mean, it's not like the court would be super terrific now, but the minority wouldn't be quite so crushing. Um, Yeah. And that's why when it was Stephen Breyer, the calls were similarly loud and they felt similarly uncomfortable and cruel and it is not an easy thing for people who are fundamentally, you know, compassionate humans on top of being kind of politically aware it's not comfortable to tell someone you are nearing your death and so you need to step aside so someone younger can do the job on which probably most much of your self esteem is premised, right? I mean, it's your whole hard. self. Yeah,
1: your whole self conception. And that I think is always, I think it is important, even though, even as people say, and I think they have to say, and they rightly say, she should step aside, it is important to keep in mind that both for her and for people who know her, and that includes a lot of people in the Senate right i mean they all know her but some of them have known her for decades or close friends probably um that for most of us she's just a name and a picture we've seen on tv but she's a person and obviously uh you know in Breyer's case he seemed to be in good health but you're basically saying look at the actuarial tables Mm -hmm. you're not going to live forever and but for that person when you leave the court, I mean, you're going to die the next day, but your work is done. And that is a difficult thing, a very painful thing to accept about yourself. Yeah. It's part of saying goodbye to yourself. Um, and that is something that, that uh, we all will have to do in the fundamental sense. Um, but it's hard to do for, you know, if you are, if you are a, a public person and, and stopping the work that you've uh, committed your life to. And and all that. So it's it's and I suspect that that is a big part of why her colleagues have not managed to settle this, because to them, she's not just, again, a name and a picture we see on TV, you know, and there's there. And and, uh, you know, we talk a lot about Senate brain, this idea that the senators get that they are. That they are part of this club that has rules and relationships and just ways of doing things that is a little bit above the pay grade of us ordinary people who just, you know, vote in elections and don't get that kind of big picture and all that kind of stuff. And at some level, that is what's going on here because all of this stuff doesn't change the fact that who makes up the federal judiciary is hugely important and it's life and death for a lot of people it is certainly rights and dignity for a lot of people it's a big fucking deal in the words of our illustrious president um so i think we need to be clear and i think an increasing number of people are getting clear that it's time for this to happen but while saying that we should also do it with full awareness it sucks. And it doesn't just suck for her and, the, and her family and her, and her staffers. It's, it sucks it sucks for the people who are her friends. But, you know, we, we put people in public office. We expect a lot of them. And this is one of those things. It, but, but let's keep in mind at the same time that it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard.
0: I would also add, this is um, related, but a bit different, that we might come to a time where Newsom is picking her replacement, and he had promised a couple years ago that if the opportunity arose, he would pick a black woman. And we, we were talked about this on the pod, but that has sparked a lot of um, uh, you know thoughts that maybe it's going to be Barbara Lee, who's a representative um, who's running for Feinstein's uh, seat. And I would just say I really, really hope he doesn't pick her. I really hope he doesn't pick anyone who's running for the seat because. California already has one of its senators is an appointment. That's Alex Padilla. Um, And that's fine. And that happens. But it just makes me feel kind of weird to think of having, you know, another appointment be kind of like blessed to have the seat kind of given this like leg up in the election that again, and it's, it's a big the people don't get to weigh in on, you know, that yeah. just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. And it feels like you can just avoid it by you know, picking one of the many other black women who are like competent to take over this role on an interim basis and then just kind of leave the election field open.
1: Yeah. And I, I will say this. And this is, <laughs> you know, Ro Khanna is the guy who is the one elected, uh, elected Democrat. Maybe mm-hmm. there's another who's kind of said like, oh, I agree with Roe yeah, or something. that's right. But he's, but he's the one who has said she needs to resign. She has to resign, blah, 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 blah. And he's gotten a lot of credit for that for um, you know a lot of people who want this to happen. And yeah, but he's also, as far as I know, he's the chair of Lee's campaign and he supports her. And I think that most would probably agree that absent her getting an interim appointment, she's not going to get the nomination. She's not going to be the next senator. I'm not saying it's impossible, but she is the other two big Democrats seem more likely to be the winners. So even in his case, I'm not saying he doesn't believe it, but- You can't see it as a totally disinterested state because the person he supports will, and I take your point, I think it's a bad thing also. And again, it happens. People, you know, people get a leg up. That's kind of it happens sometimes. But having it happen for both your senators, you know, kind of the voters not having gotten a clean bite at the apple either time, that's not great. That's not great. Um, so I think that I, I wish that would happen too, but, but I think Newsom would have a pretty hard time not giving it to her because A, he promised to appoint a black woman if the opportunity presented itself. And wow, it happens that there's a black woman who says she wants the job. So if you don't give it to her, it's going to really seem like, wow, you really didn't want Lee to be the next senator. So it's everybody is. And and again, look, politics, politics is politics, right? I mean, Ro Khanna thinks she should she should be the senator. And one other point to kind of put into the mix here, she's much older than the other two candidates. So that's going to play into the um play into the calculus. None of this is bad. Everybody has interests in everything. Everybody's an adult. I'm just kind of adding that in here to kind of make the point. Everybody's got a lot of different angles they're pursuing. And again, that's, you know, no crying in baseball, as they say.
0: Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, Feinstein obviously hasn't resigned yet, so we don't know if it'll come to this at all. I just think I hear you on, on Barbara Lee, but I, I do think it's avoidable for him if he kind of... Newsom like leans into this idea of I want the people to have kind of a, a clean shot at it. And so I'm going to pick someone with no interest in running for the seat.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I, I agree with you. If he if he if that's what he wants to do. And I think that given he's already appointed one of the senators, it's what he it's what he should do. Um, It's not the easiest thing to do
0: totally. put it that way.
1: Um, but, so, you, you know, know,
0: and and the the other piece of this that has been the you know the undercurrent of our conversation is just like California is huge, and it's insane to begin with that they only got two senators right, so they at the very least should like have a say in one of them
1: yeah 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 no it's it's a uh, it's it's a it's a it's an uncomfortable situation, and if it is true that they still have this same issue, even if she does resign, it gets a lot more dicey. I will say this, though. They got a lot of judges through in the first two years of of Biden's, mm-hmm. um, uh, Biden's presidency when they only had 50 senators, not 51. And there are things, I mean, again, this gets deep into the arcana, but so the standard thing is... You have to pass the nominee out of committee, and then they get a a vote on the floor, majority rules, blah, 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 okay. But there is another thing that they can do. You can have a vote. Basically, the majority can say, you know what? Screw the committee. We're going to bring this person. They're so, so good. We're bringing them straight to the floor. We're not even going through committee. You can do that, and I'm pretty certain it does not require 60 votes um but again senate brain right um they don't like doing stuff like this uh so you know it's not the end it doesn't mean that like biden's not going to get any more nominees th- for the rest of his term but it's not great to put it mildly it's not great
0: yep um okay okay we've kind of gone long so maybe we should just wrap here
1: yeah well you know we, we had we had uh we had some questions from readers we wanted to get to, but we were so busy making uh, great content that we we didn't even get to them. So maybe on the next episode, we'll do yeah. like extra batch of questions. Maybe we'll even do like a question episode, a little mini yeah. episode or something like that. Totally. In any case, uh, let me remind you, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You get 25% off using the promo code TPM at Grady'sColdBrew.com. And uh, I guess that's all we got. <laughs> all right. Later.
0: Well, see you next week. Bye.